Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck and the Success League. Strike Deck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The Strike Deck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. We also offer training programs for CSMs and customer success leaders. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hayer, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. I'm joined on today's episode by Andrea Spillman-Gajek, the Senior Vice President of Operations and Customer Success for Captricity. Andrea was one of the founding members of the Captricity team and built their customer success function and team from scratch. So today she'll be sharing with us how she did that and some of the frameworks that she used. Andrea, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Kristen, for having me. I've, I've loved listening to past podcasts, and I'm really excited to be part of this one. Oh, thank you. I, I wanted to ask you first, you have a really strong background in public health research. So how did you end up in customer success? What was your path into our field? Yeah, so I, my background is, is public health, exactly as you mentioned. And in fact, I got involved in Captricity while I was getting my Master of Public Health. But prior to Captricity, I and, and my getting my master's, I, I worked in a couple different functions. I worked at an academic medical center, helping them roll out a patient intake survey and, and more of a, a tech-focused approach to following and, and keeping track of their customers, of their, excuse me, of their patients' health. Um, and I think that slip is actually very telling in that in a lot of ways, uh, clients, customers, patients, are, are very interlinked. We use the same word for everyone who's kind of the recipient of be it care, be it a service, um, or the user of a technology. Yeah. And so I focused there. I moved more to the tech space after that. I worked um, for a startup that was doing kind of the Wikipedia of medical information. So I always stayed focused on how technology could support health and healthcare and public health. And to me, the part that really interested me was how those technologies affected the users. Mm-hmm. And that's always been my, my focus, my, the part that really captures my attention. Um, and so I really see a lot of overlap between kind of public health and, and what we're doing now at Captricity has a lot of applications in the healthcare field as well. And that's really what got me initially involved. So tell us a little bit more about Captricity. So what is the company's mission and what does your customer success team look like right now? So Captricity is a uh, software as a service that focuses on on really helping enterprises with their automation. Our, Our core technology focuses on reading and really turning um, text that's stuck on paper, stuck in PDF, stuck in faxes, on turning that into digital data so that it can really be used by an organization. 
Um, that can be for, a, we're doing a project in, in Flint, Michigan right now to help them figure out what pipes are actually made of lead and copper. So they're replacing the right pipes. We're reading, oh. we're basically reading repair cards back to the 1930s to help them map where different <laughs> pipes are. Um, and now a lot of our focus is also in the life insurance space. We work with Federal Elections Commission. So we do a lot of work with organizations that have very regulated processes or dealing with with older data and just need that in a digital format. In terms of team structure, our customer success team and our professional services team are tightly linked. Um, We do call those as two separate functions where our professional services team gets involved immediately, technically immediately post-sale they take over, although they'll be involved pre-sale in scoping out work needed to implement and get a customer live. They take over once the sale is is closed to help implement a customer. And then they'll hand over the relationship and the ongoing management of that workflow, that customer driving value to that business, to the customer success team. Um, within our customer success team, then officially we have CSMs who really own the business level relationship, but also have a technical bent to make sure that the technical pieces continue to run well, troubleshoot, continue just really improving how we work. We always aim to go live driving value and then by six months in and 12 months in, just increase the value we're driving. We also have customer support within that team that handles more of the inbound, but then also will will help support uh, CSMs as they're improving how the technology functions. And so I oversee both of those teams. I oversee both professional services and customer success because we thought it was really important to have kind of a cohesiveness to those, a single point where they're reporting up a single exec sponsor to the client so that it's a seamless experience for the client. Yeah, I I like it when teams are structured that way. I think that it really creates that, like you said, cohesive experience and, you know, makes it a you know, an excellent customer experience all the way from sales through to, you know, renewal. Totally agree. So that's fantastic. Uh, I always think it's interesting to hear from guests who built customer success teams from scratch. We've had a few people on the show talking about that and each story is different. (laughs) And so a lot of people in our audience right now are either first time CSMs for their company or they're in the process of building their teams right now. So we'll get into the how you did it details in a minute. But first, can you tell us how you knew there was a need for customer success when you joined Captricity? Yeah, so I've been here since the start. I I met our founder and CEO Mm -hmm. when this was his PhD dissertation. As I mentioned, I was getting my master's degree. When I kind of officially joined and officially became an employee, we had a few beta customers and those few beta customers were just critical to our success at that point. They were our proof that the technology worked. They were our feedback to figure out where we needed to improve. They were our case studies. And so I don't think it ever occurred to us that customer success wouldn't be core and critical. And I I hear this a lot. I've talked to a lot of different folks um, who've started customer success teams. And I think it's it really just comes down to the philosophy of the founding team. Right. And our, our CEO, our co-founder, and, and I all just had that in our DNA, that the customers were our core, the customers were what mattered. 
So one of the very first things I did when I, I was the first non-technical employee to join really was that was just one of the, you know, 10 hats that I wore, but that was definitely one of the hats that I wore was making customers successful. Um, As we scaled, then it just became figuring out how we matured that process, how it became, you know, not just kind of me and the CEO having these personal relationships with a few key clients, but how we scaled a whole function from that. So it never occurred to us, like, not to do that, I guess. And so we never made this conscious decision that we need to go add this new function. It was more a matter of how do you take what's integral to our DNA and who we are, and then scale that up and at what point do you need to scale and and when do you put process in place and when do you hire more people and and all of that but it was really kind of an issue of 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 scaling it and making it official as opposed to starting to do it that's fantastic it's actually great that you started that way um one issue that we run into at the success league when we work with early stage companies is that often the leadership team isn't on the same page about what customer success is and what they should be accountable for Um, did it take work to get your leadership team aligned on customer success as you started to realize you needed to scale it? I think what we had to figure out is what components are defined and fall into the realm and responsibilities of the customer success team. Okay. Because at the end of the day, customer success is kind of everything within a company, right? The whole company <laughs> is and should be structured around customer success. So as you talk about building the team, it's sort of figuring out, I I think we had buy-in to the idea that our customers matter, their experiences matter, having customers draw value from day one and increase their value and stay with us matters. We didn't have to sort of get people on board with that concept but you know, you ask what customer success is, what it should be accountable for. How do you figure that out? And that's been honestly, that's evolved, and it continues to evolve over time for us. And it's kind of looking at the customer life cycle and saying, well, what's sales responsible for, and how long does sales sales stay involved, and who owns the renewal and who owns the contracting? And it's almost down to at one point what we did was to break up our customer journey into little tiny chunks, really, and say for each of these tiny chunks, which team is responsible? What are the metrics that indicate success at these different junctures? Who are even the relationships that we have on the customer side and and who owns each of those relationships? So it really wound up being kind of a structural between sales, CS, PS, product, how do you own the pieces of the customer journey and the customer life cycle that that matter? And and that's changed. That that's certainly evolved over time and, and we kind of constantly check back in on that and adjust. Yeah, I think that's pretty common that it it morphs over time. Um, I want to talk about your first CSM. So you were kind of in that role wearing all the hats for a while and then you needed to hire somebody. So how did you decide when it was time to hire your first CSM? And when you were doing that, what did you look for in that first hire? And then how how has your, I guess, how have those requirements for the CSMs changed over time? Yeah. So when we started, the first hire was just, I, you know, couldn't work more hours in the week. <laughs> Basically, we were adding customers <laughs> and there was more I needed to do yeah. and, and there just weren't enough hours in the day. 
So I needed help. And so that's when we decided to hire. Okay. Um, and at that point, again, because the role was new, the company was tiny, we really looked for somebody who was who could be a jack of all trades. Okay. Um, to the point that our first CSM even helped out with some stuff around the office, right? We were in that stage of a company. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what we looked for, there, there are commonalities in what we looked for then to what we look for now. The commonalities were somebody who can learn really quickly because there's a lot to learn on the product. There's a lot to learn of what the customers need. And the role still is evolving. I think it'll always be evolving as long as our customers are evolving. It's an ability to learn really fast, uh, an ability, high accountability. Um, so knowing that whoever comes in will be accountable to the customer, will be accountable to their team, to their manager. We have never seen a successfully run team that you know micromanages and has to check in every time that a task is complete. So it's that kind of knowing that, hey, if I have an idea and we want to go do this thing, that we have this personality type that's going to take that and just run with it and own it. Yeah, that's great. Um, and honestly, positivity, um, optimism. It's CSM can be a hard job sometimes. And, and a lot of times our CSMs also deal with support issues and deal with problems. So kind of an, an empathy, an ability to understand where problems are coming from, to um, empathize with the person on the other end of, of the phone or at the other side of the conference table, and then to have a positive attitude about things, to really be able to you know, take a bad situation and, and make it good and not kind of dwell on, on you know, the bad. So that from the start has been hugely important to us. I think some of what's evolved over time is we went from more looking for somebody who could come in and fill all of the gaps and, and really be that Swiss army knife to people who have slightly more developed skills already. So now we'll do more of hiring for somebody who has some customer success experience and background, who has some account management background, who maybe knows our customer space a little bit. So it can kind of still depend a little bit on, on sort of what gap we're looking to fill at that moment. But we've really evolved to a slightly more mature model of looking for folks who have experience and can be a little bit more specialized and more focused. Okay. So Andrea, as we were preparing for this interview, you had mentioned building processes and that you had had to find the balance between too many formal processes and too few processes that were formalized. And I think that's a challenge for a lot of early stage companies. We we do a lot of work around process design at the Success League and you know, we we have to help companies find that balance. Some companies really want to overprocess too early. Um, and others, you know, are are companies that should have written things down a long time ago. So <laughs> can you share with us how you decided to approach process design? Sure. And I think some of it, I, so I can be very type A just personally. Mm -hmm. um, Me too. And I've been accused of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I think some of it was just acknowledging the tendency within myself that I don't have, we, we don't, and within a lot of our team, um, we tend to hire a lot of people like that. And it's this sort of, well, Acknowledging that we sometimes wanted to develop a process for where we'd be in a year, but we're not there yet. And so really taking a step back as we're looking at how things are working and saying, well, first, it's just, is something working right now or isn't it? And if something's working right now, I think the next question is, okay, it's working right now. Is it going to work in 
two more months when we're this size and have this many customers? And if the answer is still kind of like, yes, it's, it's, it's working now, it's still probably going to work for the next couple of months, then you probably don't need to go fix that right now. Um, but you also don't want everything to be breaking and you're constantly creating process in <laughs> kind of in, in arrears of the problem. Yeah. Um, so it, it is sort of acknowledging, okay, what's, what's the next thing we have to deal with? What do we see, you know, around just the next bend, not around, you know, that bend in 10 miles. Um, and also really starting to pay attention to what are the things that we've now done two or three times. And if you've done them one or two or three times, right. or rather two or three times, um, that's the time that you start to, to make it repeatable. Um, and it can be anything from, we had a rule for our, we still have a rule for our support team. If you've answered the same support question twice, flag it by the third time you answer it, um, just go write a support article or flag that as a support article we have to write. Yeah. If there's a customer issue that we've seen twice, let's put together a playbook for it. Let's figure out, you know, what what worked in the first two and, and let's go do that for the next one. So it's that sort of recognizing where's the repetition coming and the things we are doing. Mm-hmm. It's looking at um, a lot of times you have process for communication as well. Where how's communication working within teams and across teams? Where are we feeling like we need to repeat ourselves? Where is information getting lost? So it's a lot of just making sure you build in that time to really take a step back from the day to day um, to say, where can we be more efficient? Where are we dropping stuff? Where are we repeating stuff and build the processes for, for those things rather than for, oh my God, we have this thing coming in a year and we need to be ready for it. Um, although you you need to do that too, right? You need to see sort of the train coming way down the road, but you don't necessarily need to to build everything for that. You just need to be building towards it. Right. I think the other thing that I see some of our customers run into is they get really overwhelmed with process building because they're thinking about it um, as a big, huge project. And I think if you approach it the way that you approached it, it actually um, makes it uh, smaller and it's it's more like you're designing things as you go in in smaller chunks and it's less overwhelming and so I, I like your approach to that a lot absolutely well and the other piece to that is it's totally iterative I think we got stressed out at the beginning with mm-hmm. this feeling of oh my god we have to get the process perfect when we launch it and that's not true at all, right? And so when you when you approach that, it's like you take forever to roll out a process piece, and then and then sometimes it's way over designed, and it still doesn't <laughs> right. quite work because you're still you always need to iterate on it. So exactly as you say, it's it's breaking it into smaller chunks. It's, I mean, the concept of MVP is is huge in tech, but it applies to process as well. It's like all right, well, let's just see what we can do. Retrospectives help a ton too. You have a retrospective on a project on a client. Yeah. And out of that will come little tweaks. It's not rebuilding the process. It's just tweaking how you do things. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back with the rest of the interview in a minute. Today, I'd like to talk about one type of consulting engagement we offer at the Success League. Customer success deep dives last between three days and two weeks, and are focused on helping companies plan a customer success program tailored to their organization. 
Common deep dive topics include metrics and goals, hiring and compensation, customer journey mapping, and segmentation. Each deep dive session includes concrete deliverables, like business models and annual plans, that you can quickly put to use. If you need help with planning for 2019, a deep dive engagement is a great way to kickstart your efforts. Visit the consulting page on our website, thesuccessleague.io, for more information. I also want to mention StrikeDeck's new Customer 360 template. This free download is the best way to figure out if you're ready for a customer success tool. It is an automated spreadsheet that will help you keep track of all your current customers, generating an individual health score for each one. Quick reports can be easily developed through the Analytics tab, and tasks can be tracked on the Task Manager. If you're looking for a quick, simple-to-use, yet robust solution for your CS needs, StrikeDeck's Customer 360 template is the tool for you. Download your copy today at strikedeck.com. And now, back to our interview. I think that whenever you introduce a new team into an organization like customer success, other teams sometimes need time to learn how to work with that new group. And sometimes that causes friction or frustration between teams. How did you build really strong working relationships with other teams inside Captricity? Yeah, it's a, I mean, that's a great question. And I, I think it's, you know, again, we didn't, for us, customer success was kind of always there, but it's changed. It's changed its focus. And, and that's where I think you can um, you can get some tensions. Or even as you introduce, you know, customer success might not have been a new team, but some of the functions and professional services might have been. So I completely agree There's there can be friction there. I think um, what's worked for us um, is going back to kind of what we were discussing earlier, just really clearly defining who's responsible for what. Mm-hmm who owns what. And sometimes that's down to metrics and sometimes that's down to process pieces. And sometimes that's down to something as tactical as a QBR who owns putting together the slides, who owns delivering it, just making sure that there's really clear ownership of different pieces so that you don't duplicate work so that people don't feel like their toes are getting stepped on. Um, But I think it's beyond that. It's, even, you know, the first step of that is just making sure that all the goals and incentives are aligned. Yeah, that's a big one. So, yeah, I mean, first, we have to all be pulling in the right direction. Like, ideally, ideally, we, we all want the same thing um, <laughs> for a specific customer. We all have the same outcome in mind. Um, and again, the incentive structures are built around that. That's everything from comp plans to OKRs, to even just how the teams are, um, you know, structured, aligned, how people work together. I know um, a a common model and one that I think can work really well is when you have specific pods working together where you take somebody from customer success, Mm -hmm. sales, um, professional services, depending on the company. So... What most matters is making sure that teams are aligned and pulling in the the same direction in the right direction. I think there's a normal, though, whenever you're forming a new team or people are working together for the first time, I constantly go back to this framework that I'm sure some of you have heard of. I forget who came up with it, but it says that every time new people are working together, there's this forming, storming, norming, performing stage. 
where you're first just coming together as a team. And then there's storming. There's this phase where like, who's doing what? And how do I work with this person? And what did they mean by that email? And like personalities are clashing. And even with super, with wonderful, wonderful teammates, you still have that, that figuring out how to work together. And then there's the norming where like you get how you work together. Yeah. And then you're performing and you're running and it's great. So I think a lot of companies have looked at the pod approach, um, not just to address that and always have the same people working together, but also to create consistency for customers um, to make sure that the, you know, you have consistent process, consistent shorthand, teams develop shorthand, but also relationships become really important, right? It's, the, the personal matters so much. Um, knowing someone's personality, caring about somebody at a personal level can sometimes help override like a, a tricky situation. Um, so I find that really making sure that, that just individuals um, work with sort of the same individuals, whether you have that naturally because it's a smaller company or whether you create that through pods, I think that's a really, a really great way of getting around some of that. Yeah, I've seen the pod structure work really well for a number of companies. I I really like that. I think you have to be of a certain size because, you know, if you're an early stage company, there's nobody to create a pod with. (laughs) You kind of are a pod at that point, all of you. But, you know, when you hit it, when you hit scale, um, grouping people together um, can be really powerful. And so I, I think that's great for sort of that scaling size of company. I'm going to shift gears a little bit and ask you about your tools. So um, tell us what you have tool-wise now and how you got to the point where you selected those and when you added them into the process so that, you know, people who are listening can have some idea of what they could be thinking about tool-wise. Yeah. So for us, we've used Salesforce from the start. It was how we always tracked our pipeline, our new deals. And our ongoing customers to a certain point. We've created a bunch of custom modules in there to map customer success. Um, We've gone back and forth a lot in in looking at other technologies. We're still scaling up. And so I think at the scale we are right now, Salesforce works because our sale, honestly, our sales team uses it. And we found that Um, using the technology that that other teams are using or the software that other teams are using, it kind of works well for now. It's not quite time to introduce something else. Although I think there, as as the customer success and professional services team starts scaling up, I suspect we're going to hit a a turning point pretty soon. I think, um, you know, outside of Salesforce, there are tools that the team itself uses to track time, to track to-do lists, to track projects. But really, Salesforce is kind of the customer tracking that we've used. Certainly has its challenges. Um, we're lucky. I mean, lucky. I think it's it's unique in some, Capture City is unique in some ways in that we have few but very large clients. Um, and so tracking through something that's not totally meant for customer success tracking, but kind of works okay, is fine for now because we're able to keep track of the few but large customers um, within there. I think, again, as we scale up number of customers, that'll get more challenging. Got it. Yeah. I think I've had good luck with Salesforce too. I think, um, yeah, your tools evolve as your company evolves. I think one of the pros of using 
a tool like that is that you've got everything in one place. And as long as everyone's good at logging stuff, it's pretty easy to find out what's going on with any given customer. And then, you know, it's also nice because you can tack on all these other tools that you need to add down the road. Um, so I think, I think that that's a good place to start for sure. So Andrea, one thing you mentioned to me as we were prepping for today's episode is that you think that it can be tough to keep a strong focus on customers while you're going through all that growth and transition, going from an early stage organization to a scaling and growing organization. And I completely agree. How did you address that and keep that customer focus at Captricity? I think it's it's challenging. Um, it's tough, but it's also acknowledging that then also acknowledges that you just have to put more effort into it. Um, right? Like I don't want to make it sound like we lost customer focus at some point because we were scaling. I think it's one of those things that is natural when you're small is hopefully natural when you're big. I, I, but, but in that middle stage, you're focusing on so many different things at once. <laughs> yeah. I think the very first and, and most important step is just acknowledging that, Hey, we have a lot of priorities right now. We have a ton going on. We're pulled in a million different directions but let's make sure that this thing always stays at our core. Let's make sure that the focus on the customers is always at the center of, of what we're doing. And however we need to to shift to, to focus to make that happen, that at the executive level coming from the C-suite, from the executive team, from the leadership team, that that's just repeated, that that's just known, that it doesn't matter what else is going on. The customer focus is, is what matters. Keeping our customers happy is what matters. Um, whatever technical challenges we're facing, whatever we're building, that's that's what matters. Um, I think it's then building in structures at a certain point. So this goes back to sometimes you do need that process. And so what we heard from engineers at one point yeah. was, you know, as we grew as a team, when we were smaller, we used to have CS sitting right next to engineering, right next to product. And they just talk. And so everybody knew what was going on. And we had the one or two key clients that just everybody was focused on. And as we grew, there wasn't physical space for the teams to be right next to each other. And we had a lot more clients. And so not everybody knew what was going on with all the clients. And so it's figuring out how do you, we built in lunch and learns, for example. I love that. So that we could, um, the customer success team would, I think every other week or once a month, would share with the whole company what were we hearing from customers or walk through a customer use case? We try to even bring in or have a WebEx with one of our clients so that the whole company, including the engineering team that's building features for the clients, could hear from them. Um, we Now what we do at the start of every quarter is to review um, with the whole company both the metrics but also the stories of our clients and our client base with the whole company so that everybody can hear, can sort of see what are the metrics that are driving our, our team success, our company success, um, but also what are we hearing from customers? So it's figuring out how you keep building in this, this process, these pieces, these points of communication so that the customer's voice, customer success is the voice of the customer within the company, but we need a platform to share that. And so it's building those platforms, building those channels so that that's really coming back. 
So Andrea, one thing you mentioned to me as we were prepping for today's episode is that you think that it can be tough to keep a strong focus on the customers while you're going through growth and transition as an organization. And I completely agree. How did you address that and keep the customer focus at Captricity? Yeah, so I think, you know, it's going from having this sort of natural flow, I guess, and process where everybody's together in one room and everybody's focusing on one or two key clients to having teams grow and split up. And, you know, our customer success team used to sit next to our engineering team. And then, you know, as you grow, there's less space for that. Um, Instead of focusing on the one customer that everybody needs to be successful, there are dozens of customers and then hundreds of customers and you can't possibly know all of them. So I think that's the biggest challenge is going from this very organic focus as a small company on a few customers to having kind of this larger, more spread out team and more spread out mm-hmm. focus. Yeah. Throughout it all, you know, yes, it's it's tough. And I think it's just first having the leadership team from the CEO, C-suite, execs, uh, executive team all agree that no matter what else is going on, the customers matter. And things might get crazy and we might be pulled in a lot of different directions, but the customers are still at the core of it. And so it's it's first having that focus. And then it's starting to build in the process at this point now, you know, you do need yeah. to build in some process yeah. for the things that used to happen organically. And so some things we did, for example, was that we had the customer success team run lunch and learns where once every two weeks or once every four weeks, they shared a customer story, they shared pain points, they shared the customer experience with the whole company, with anyone who wanted to come. And it was always an optional event, but usually everybody showed up. Um, We tried to bring in customers either as a WebEx or in person to talk to the whole team. Now we also at the start of every quarter have a basically a customer review of what were the metrics that we focused on? How are those metrics doing? But also really, what's the color? What are we hearing from customers? What are we learning? Um, and again, that's it's mandatory for the leadership team. It's optional for the whole company, but we tend to really see that everyone wants to come and wants to learn. And we've been getting feedback that that's one of the most engaging and interesting parts for the whole company of our quarter launch. So it's really figuring out how do you go from that organic, we're all kind of shoulder to shoulder, so we all know what each other are doing and we all know what the customers care about, to to building in those frameworks and those processes and those channels for communication. So Andrea, you went through a really challenging, exciting experience growing the Captricity customer success team from scratch. And I know we have some listeners who are probably in the same boat, but maybe a little earlier in the process. So if you could offer just one piece of advice to a leader who's going through that right now, what would it be? I think it's to really take advantage of resources that are out there and learning from other people, learning from blogs, learning from meetups. For us, we were growing so quickly and found that, you know, most of the challenges that we hit, somebody else had already solved. And so when I was able to go out there and either talk to a mentor or go to a meetup and hear somebody talking about the challenge that I was working on or read a blog post, it it allowed me to move a lot more quickly because I wasn't having to reinvent the wheel every yeah. single time I was doing something. And it also allowed me to, I think, avoid certain pitfalls that others had faced. Um, 
and it, you know, it really, it helps also to see what's coming again. You know, we, we talk about process and not building for the thing that's happening in a year or two, but it's still nice to know what might be ahead. So at least you're starting to angle for it and prepare for it. Mm -hmm. Um, customer success especially is such a really developing field still. Um, the resources that are available now, the structures that we have in place now are so different from when I started even six years ago. And so it's a particularly rich space to, to join meetups, to listen to podcasts like this one. That's why I was so excited to be on it. Yeah. Um, And to just see what's out there because a lot of people are talking about it and folks with, six months of experience in the face in the space, excuse me, have something to teach folks who have been at it for, you know, five or 10 years and, and obviously vice versa. So Mm -hmm. I just think it's, it's a rich customer success, especially is a really rich space to be learning, to be talking, to be discussing, to be reading. And that's what helped us. And I think what can really help other teams that are building. I absolutely agree. And I think, um, you know, it can be really, easy to sort of neglect your personal development too, especially when you have a really busy job as a customer success leader. But because the field is changing so rapidly, it's so critical that as a leader, you stay up to date, um, not just so you know how to build your team, but just so you can be current and develop your career effectively too. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the space is constantly changing. And so it's, it's not a, it's not a one-time thing that you go and you, you zoom into as you start building a team and then it's all running smoothly. It's, it's lifelong learning. Absolutely. So, and that kind of leads into my last question. Since you listen to our podcast, you know, what's coming next. Um, What do you see as the biggest trend in our field right now and why? One thing that I'm hearing a lot. So I was on a couple panels uh, a couple weeks ago and the question that keeps coming up is metrics. And yes. what to measure and how to measure them. I think the net promoter score NPS was the the darling metric for a while and folks are starting to take a step back and yeah. they kind of re-examine that one a little bit and figure out I think of it both as the the leading and the trailing metric. So what's the main goal that you need to be achieving, but once you've achieved it, you've you've achieved it, you really need to know if you're on track to it. Um so for us it's kind of net churn at the point to customer churns or grows, it's it's already done it. So what are the, the leading indicators? So I think most people agree on kind of the main goals around net retention, net churn, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But talking about what are the leading indicators? How do you get a sense of what's coming? Um, what are you tracking? And then still going back and figuring out what are the main metrics? How do you incent on them? What are the goals of the customer success team? Yeah, I think the big challenge is that, you know, there is no one set of perfect metrics for our industry. <laughs> I think it's company by company. Mm-hmm. It's it's industry by industry. It's, um, you know, it depends a lot on the size of your customer base and the kind of model that you have. And all of that plays into, you know, what kind of metrics you choose. And so it's interesting to watch that develop and turn into something that, um you know, can be more of a model so that companies can take a look at some of those matrix items and figure out what works the best. Yeah, I think that's that's so true. It 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 is particular to to company by company, business by business, as you said, the model, the customers, the shape, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to see folks kind of re-engaging and, and figure or re-engaging at all. I think now we have yeah. more data, we have more metrics. Companies have been at this for longer. Um, have more software that that is helping them 
gain more insight into customers. And so it's a really interesting time to be having this discussion. It absolutely is. Well, Andrea, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing your team building journey with the audience. I really appreciate all your practical tips and ideas, and I know the listeners do too. Uh, So thank you so much for taking the time for this interview. Well, thank you, Kristen. It's been an absolutely wonderful discussion. Um, I learned throughout it as well with some of the points you made and, um, you know, really look forward to continuing to hear some of the other podcasts that you have coming too. Thanks so much. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And finally, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.